Let's do it. And now, shining the spotlight on the future of hockey. Hello, it's Paul Byron of the Vancouver Giants. I'm Kirby Dock of the Saskatoon Blades. I'm Dylan Cousins of the Westbridge Hurricanes. Hey guys, this is Cam Hurt. Spencer Knight. This is Matt Boldy. It's Alex Turcotte from Team USA. Hi, it's Maurice Sider from the Edelman. This is Alex Lafreniere of the Rimouski Oceanic. Major Junior. They were the best in the QMJHL. And now the Huskies are Memorial Cup champions. NCAA. Everybody in that Bulldog section's on their feet. The bench is ready to party as the UMD Bulldogs are back-to-back national champions. The World Juniors. Time winding down, and Finland has won the World Junior Championship in Vancouver in spectacular style. The NHL Draft. With the first pick overall, the New Jersey Devils are proud to select from the U.S. program, Jack Hughes. And more. Unbelievable. Wow. Incredible. This is the Pipeline Show. All right. Good weekend. Welcome to another episode of the Pipeline Show. My name is Guy Flaming. Thanks for coming back if you're a returning listener. And uh, welcome to uh, the newcoming listeners uh, who may have just tracked down the show through iTunes or SoundCloud or Spotify or however you uh, found your copy of the Pipeline Show. Thanks for doing that. And for those who are returning, uh, if you take a second and leave a rating and a uh, comment uh, wherever you get your podcast from, that would be appreciated as well. And that might help other people uh, decide to uh, hit that download button. And uh, give the show a try. As always, we start with the question of the day, which is uh, has been going on all week, basically. Lots of action on Twitter. At TPS underscore Guy is where you can uh, follow me on Twitter if you're not already. Uh, we started the NCAA logo tournament this week. And we, as of uh, right now, we have uh, just started the second round matchups that I just put out a few moments ago. Boston University against Minnesota Duluth, Michigan Tech, and UConn. The Huskies uh, going at it. Uh, Robert Morris in Massachusetts. Clarkson against uh, Alaska Anchorage uh, coming up uh, later today as well. Maine will go against the, the uh, Alaska Nanix. Uh, Western Michigan against Omaha. Bemidji State will face Denver. And Michigan State will take on the invite to the tournament, UNLV. Some, a, a couple of surprises in the first round for me. Wasn't sure which way it would go between Penn State and Colorado College. Penn State, you know, real established, traditional look. Uh, but they were knocked out by the new-look Colorado College uh, Tigers, and I like the uh, n- the new logo for Colorado College. Huge upgrade, massive upgrade from what they had before. That The, the old previous logo was uh, horrible, in my opinion. Uh, the new one looks great. Uh, wouldn't be surprised at all to see uh, that logo do very well uh, in this tournament. We'll see as things unfold. Army was a big hit. I think the Black Knights uh, are going to do well in this tournament, although they're going up against Harvard uh, in this second round. Uh, North Dakota wasn't sure which way things would go with uh, the Fighting Hawks because it's a huge fan base, and to some degree this is basically a popularity contest, but there's a lot of North Dakota fans who are still mad about the whole uh, the whole name change and uh, no longer the Fighting Sioux, officially. They still chant out the name and all of that stuff, but... Um, you know, somebody on Twitter actually told me that North Dakota fans are voting against themselves and are voting for UMass Lowell, and the Riverhawks ended up moving on in the tournament. They're going to face Boston College here in uh, the second round. Some of the other teams that had uh, huge victories in terms of uh, the voting percentage, uh, Alaska did really well with the Nanix. 
Uh, Western Michigan was uh, pretty popular. Uh, Omaha surprised me. Now, there was some controversy with that, and I had to revisit the uh, the rule book a, f- a couple of times in the first round as even teams were saying that's not the logo that we use. Uh, but I had to step, stipulate and explain, I'm going by what the teams have on their own website. And uh, so I had to point that out to uh, Canisius as well as uh, Omaha. The Mavericks wanted me to use their bull logo, but that's not what they have on their website as their primary logo. So I couldn't. Didn't matter, as they still took out Minnesota State uh, in the first round. Uh, UNLV also the invite of the four invites that uh, were you know granted uh, extended invite invitation extended invitations to the tournament. And again, for if you missed last week's explanation of, of why that was, there's 60 Division One teams. You need 64 teams for this tournament. Uh, so I uh, contacted some uh, some people that I know and. Uh, read some articles about, you know, the four most likely programs or four programs that make sense to go from club hockey to Division One, And so uh, I added Navy and Illinois, Syracuse, and UNLV. And uh, UNLV, the only one of the four invites that have moved on to the second round, and they did very well. They smoked Colgate uh, lopsided. Now, that I wouldn't expect much because Colgate's logo is terrible. Uh, so UNLV won that one uh, fairly handily. But I would say the Rebels have a pretty cool-looking logo. They're in tough, though, in round two. Michigan State, the Spartans. That is a classic look as well. I think the winner of that round two matchup could get all the way to uh, potentially the, the final four, at least the, the Elite Eight round, I would expect. So that's a big matchup here in round two. You can get involved in the voting. I, vote, I put them out every day. It's a 24-hour poll. Uh, so you can take part in the voting as well. At TPS underscore Guy is where you get me on Twitter. All right, just a few brief news and notes items uh, to pass your way. Uh, some of the award nominations have been uh, handed out uh, throughout the uh, Canadian Hockey League. Uh, I'll just touch on quickly uh, what they are, uh, the main ones in the Western Hockey League, the uh, top goaltender nominees in the East and the West. Uh, in the West, it is uh, Dustin Wolf of the Everett Silvertips, who I expect will win this award. Yuri Patera from the Brandon Wheat Kings is the nominee from the East. Uh, Logan Stankoven of the Kamloops Blazers is the uh, Western Rookie of the Year. But I expect Dylan Gunther of the Edmonton Oil Kings uh, to be named the, the top uh, rookie. I thought Gunther's biggest competition would be Cole Sillinger from Medicine Hat, also in the East. So only one of them gets the nominee. So the fact that Gunther's the guy... Uh, I expect he's going to win that award. Uh, most sportsmanlike player, it's uh, Seth Jarvis from Portland and Alexi Protus of the uh, Prince Albert Raiders. I don't really have a feel on who the most sportsmanlike player is. Executive of the year, it's Matt Bardsley from the Kamloops Blazers and uh, Peter Anholt of the Lethbridge Hurricanes. Both did a tremendous job this year. I, I think I would lean towards Matt Bardsley, but uh, if, uh, if Pete Anholt uh, wins that award, I'm not going to say it's a mistake, that's for sure. Uh, same thing with Coach of the Year, Dennis Williams with the Everett Silvertips. Boy, that team just keeps plugging away. It doesn't matter uh, the talent that they lose from year to year. And he had to make some trades and went out and made those trades. Or he didn't. He's the coach. But that team had to make adjustments along the way. And as the coach behind the bench, you got to make that uh, all those pieces fit together. And a uh, terrific job by Dennis Williams in Everett. And I'm biased. The Edmonton Oil Kings uh, head coach, uh, Brad Lauer, the uh, nominee from the Eastern Conference and they were the top team in the Western Hockey League uh, for uh, much of the season. And uh, the top team in the Eastern Conference 
So not a surprise to see his uh, name as the Eastern Conference nominee. And I would probably put my vote, if I had one, uh, towards him as well. The WHL Bantam Draft uh, coming up, that will be held on the 22nd of April. Now, obviously, it's all going to be online, and that's the way most players will follow it now. A lot of them would do it uh, that way as well, because it it's not the WHL doesn't do it with a lot of pageantry where there's a stage and it's not televised. I mean, they can see it on their YouTube channel and things like that the first round, uh, but they're not presenting players with jerseys and taking the photos on stage or anything like that. Much more laid back than uh, some of the shows that they put on in the queue, especially uh, where it's like a mini NHL draft. And with the draft right around the corner, uh, things have opened up for uh, trades now, too. And one trade has been uh, executed between Lethbridge and Victoria. Lethbridge adds Mitch Prouse from Victoria, as well as an 8th round pick in 22 and a 7th round pick in 2023. That one's conditional. For um, Nick Dorrington, who goes to Victoria, a 7th round pick this year and a 4th round pick next year. Involved in that, maybe we'll see some uh, bigger trades in the next uh, few days leading up into the uh, draft itself. South of the border, Vermont has a new head coach. Todd Woodcroft is the man, and uh, I do talk about that with uh, one of my guests coming up, so I won't uh, delve into that much more, but uh, seems by all accounts like it's going to be a, a good fit or people are expecting it to be a good fit. Scott Perunovich wins the Hobart Baker Award. That was announced uh, last weekend. And the Mike Richter Award goes to Jeremy Swayman uh, from the Maine Black Bears. Both of those players drafted and signed with their NHL teams at the end of the year here, so they won't be back for next season in uh, the NCAA. Speaking of uh, some signings, uh, last week, I think the last one we mentioned, Dylan Sandberg uh, went from Minnesota Duluth, now signed with the Winnipeg Jets. Nicole Schwind as well from Mississauga signed with Florida. Uh, since then, Cameron Crotty, defenseman with BU, Signs with the Arizona Coyotes, who drafted him. Mark Kastelik with the uh, Calgary Hitmen is uh, signed by the Ottawa Senators. Ottawa was busy this week. They also signed uh, goaltender Kevin Mandelis from the Cape Breton Screaming Eagles. Oh, no longer screaming, just the Cape Breton Eagles now. Will Riley goes from RPI. He signs with the Pittsburgh Penguins. Uh, Todd Burgess, by the way, transfers from RPI, goes to uh, Minnesota State. Uh, and a big one locally here, uh, Ian Mitchell from uh, Kalahoo, Alberta, has uh, signed with the Chicago Blackhawks after three years at the University of Denver. Tried to get him on the show, actually, this week, but uh, didn't know it. The Chicago Blackhawks have actually put a halt on uh, all interviews at all levels uh, while this whole uh, pandemic is going on. I, I don't really understand it, personally. Uh, it's a phone call. It's not like... Uh, I'm going to Ian's house, or he's coming to my house, even though we're 15 minutes apart. I trade messages with Ian on a fairly regular basis, and uh, he is very excited about the the new contract, obviously, and uh, said as soon as the interviews are allowed to be held, uh, he'll be coming back on the show to chat about that. So we'll look forward to that sometime down the road. Uh, one last one I wanted to uh, mention was a nice article here by Adam Woden at College Hockey News about the importance of uh, sports and how he sees things maybe unfolding here in the next little bit. Uh, a lot of chaos south of the border, that's for sure. I mean, it's it's chaotic everywhere, but seeing some states starting to really loosen up the restrictions and, and letting people, like in Florida, oh, to each their own. But uh, use your head, take care of each other, is all I'm going to say about that. All right, uh, you've heard me say all my guests join me courtesy the uh, Troubled Monk hotline. They continue to do... Uh, 
deliveries right to your door during this pandemic. All you got to do, place your order by 1 p.m. And you can get same-day delivery if you're in Calgary, Red Deer, or Edmonton. And they have expanded in uh, the Edmonton area to include Sherwood Park and St. Albert. So uh, go to their website, troubledmonk.com. Lots of outstanding brews to to choose from. And you can also get uh, uh, a beer can size or a 4-liter jug of uh, hand cleanser as well. Troubled Monk doing what they can to uh, help out. And we'll talk about that a little bit on the show today. Here's what's coming down the pipe. That'll be the final segment. Uh, Bud Kelly, who's a sales guy for Troubled Monk, he's going to join me. We're going to chat a little bit about what they're doing and, and some of the beers in case you haven't had a chance to try it. Now, right now, it's exclusive in Alberta. Uh, but you never know what happens uh, down the road. Uh, but we'll talk to Bud Kelly about that and more. We're going to start today's show, though, with the general manager and president of hockey operations for the uh, Sherwood Park Crusaders of the Alberta Junior Hockey League, who were the top team in the Canadian Junior Hockey League this year. Uh, we're just getting ready to start their second-round playoff series. They had a bye through the first round, and then everything, uh, well, as we know, has come to a screeching halt. Uh, so we'll talk about Kyle Chase. He'll look back at the season that was for the Crusaders, what went right, obviously what went wrong at the end of the year, how tough a decision that was for the league in general, but for the Crusaders in particular, as uh, really good things, big things were expected for that team in the playoffs, perhaps a national championship, obviously a financial hit for uh, for all the teams, but especially one for that was expecting to go deep like that. Uh, so we'll talk to him about uh, that and more. And uh, in between uh, the interview with Cal Chase and the uh, final one today with Bud Kelly, we're going to catch up with Dave Starman, a really great conversation I had with him. Uh, look back at the year that was uh, in college hockey and, the, and obviously the way things ended up and uh, some of the news and notes that uh, have happened here as well. So we'll talk to Dave Starman about that. But we will start things off next with uh, Kyle Chase, the uh, GM and president of hockey operations for the Alberta Junior Hockey League's Sherwood Park Crusaders. That's first here on the Pipeline Show with Gee Flaming. Jackney won it, left half boards, McCarr skates down the boards to the corner, stops up there, then got around a defender to the side of the net, cuts in front, shoots and scores! (laughs) A thing of beauty, a work of art, Kale McCarr just took over this whole game, dangling a defender out of his skates in the left corner, cutting to the slot untouched. Hey, it's Kale McCarr of the Brooks Bandits, and you're listening to the Pipeline Show. From the organization that brought you Mark Messier, Matt Benning, and Ian Mitchell, Spruce Grove Saints Junior A Hockey is officially back for the 2019-2020 season with all the action taking place at the Grant Fear Arena in Spruce Grove. With tickets starting at just $15 per person, AJHL Hockey provides some quality entertainment. For more information, visit www.sprucegrovesaints.ca. You're listening to the Pipeline Show with Guy Flaming. The cream rise to the top. Oh yeah, the cream of the crop. Nobody does it better. This is the Pipeline Show with Guy Flaming, and we're going to talk a little Alberta Junior Hockey League uh, right now. And obviously, not a lot going on in the AJHL, or maybe there is some behind-the-scenes stuff. We'll get to that 
in a little bit. But the uh, the top team in the league this year and uh, the top team in the entire CJHL uh, for the most part this season were the Sherwood Park Crusaders. Uh, and uh, I get to speak with the GM, the president of the Crusaders right now. Kyle Chase, welcome back to the Pipeline Show. Chaser, how are you? I'm well, D. How are you? I'm doing good. Uh, you look back at this season, and, man, you guys really had a special team. And uh, as I mentioned, you're at the top of the the uh, the top 20 in the CJHL for much of the year. What was the key to success this year? Well, I think the the group that we've put together over the course of the last maybe three or four years and, you know, and the, and the building blocks that we had, and we had some really good players coming back and, and you know, and our, our leadership group was very good. And we talk a lot about character and the culture of our group. And, and, and you know what, everything just seemed to come together. Our young players were, were really good young recruits and our, and our older players were really good leaders and very good players as well. And, you know, everything just seemed to, to click. Our goaltending was, was really good and, you know, everything just uh, fit into place uh, just like we hoped it would. And having younger players never been something that you shied away from. You, you've you often had 16, 17, you know, 17-year-olds who might not just lead your team in scoring, uh, but might lead the league in scoring too. This this wasn't something abnormal for you to be led by younger players. No, you're right, Guy, and, uh, and we take pride in that. And, you know, it's one of those things where, I know for a lot of teams, it's a bit of an anomaly where they have younger guys that are, you know, a big part of their group. And for us, it's, I guess we look at it a little bit different maybe, and we don't punish players based on their birth certificate. So you're only going to play this role because this is, you know, this is the way it's supposed to be. We just, uh, you know, we feel that if they're our best chance to win offensively or on the PK or however that works defensively, we feel that our best players are going to go on the ice in, in what we feel was the best situation for our team. So if you're a young guy, you're going to have an heck of an opportunity uh, just like anybody else would on our group. Well, I'll ask you about some of those individual players in a second. Uh, tell me about your coaching staff, though. You, you don't have success without a strong bench, and obviously you do. The best. And it, you know what? Adam and Jeff do an amazing job. Um, you know, Adam's so prepared. He puts a ton of work in. He's, you know, he's countless hours. He's relentless. He he's learning. He wants to learn more. He wants to win. He he's, you know, he's developed into one of the, I think the best coaches in our league. And you know, Jeff's playing experience and and how he, you know, he his personality just it's comforting to players, especially defensemen, where they come in and they don't. Jeff's not intrusive. He doesn't play that. Oh, I played this many years in the National Hockey League uh, persona. He's just a you know, he's friendly. The guys love him. They work hard. And when he, he leans on them, they, which isn't very often, they respect it because they know that that's not his personality. And just the amount of work he puts in before practice, morning skates, uh, after practice, the, you know, the skill stuff work he does with the players. And, you know, Jeff was such a good player, you know, in junior and in pro that, you know, he's got a lot to offer our players. And we're so lucky to have them. Like, it's, it's, you know, they're just, phenomenal group of guys to work with uh, and just for the listeners who aren't familiar it's adam is adam Mana, the head coach and jeff is jeff Boywitka, who has played a number of years in the nhl was that easy to convince a, a guy like that to, to come in and coach at the uh, the ajhl level because there's not a lot of former nhlers uh, around junior a ranks no you're absolutely right and it works really well for jeff and tell you what happened is when tim fraggle took the uh, head coach job at nate Mm-hmm. Um, Adam was announced as our head coach and general manager and uh, our head coach rather an assistant GM and we thought that uh, we thought that you know Sean Bell was going to help out and Adam and continue on board with Adam and then Belzy took the 
the assistant coaching job at Nate with, with Frags, with Tim Fraggle. And uh, so we were in panic mode, man. We were doing a renovation to the dressing room uh, at the time. And uh, Adam and I were walking through Home Depot in Sherwood Park, and Jeff Wojtka was walking down. Uh, he was getting some new furnace filters <laughs> for his house in Sherwood Park, and he was walking down the furnace filter aisle. And I said to Adam, I go, there's our assistant coach. And he goes, who's that? I go, Jeff Wojtka. And Adam goes, who's that? <laughs> so, and I'm not even kidding. I can't make that up. And he's like, and I go, you don't know who Jeff Wojtka is? I kind of think I recognize the name. I think maybe my brother played with his brother. And, and it was hilarious, right? So Jeff's brother, Sheldon, I think, played with uh, Adam's brother, Jeebo. It's just a funny story. Anyways, long and short of it, it took some convincing. And Jeff's like, ah, I don't know. And Jeff farms right now in, in Vermilion, and he lives in Shore Park. And he's got some farmland with his family. And and he's been real good with his money. And, and uh, you know, he's had a couple opportunities to go coach with Brent in, in Red Deer. And Brent loved him as a player, and Brent loves him as a person. And they have a really close relationship, Brent and, and uh, Jeff. And there's a lot of respect both ways there. And, uh, and Brent's offered him numerous times to take the next step. And, you know, I think Jeff's really, really happy with how his life is right now, where he gets to, you know, do his farming and he still gets to, you know, be involved in the hockey at a high level. And he's, pretty happy so and we're happy because uh he's a big part of our group speaking with uh, kyle chase the uh, gm president of the uh, sherwood park crusaders uh, about uh, his uh, team and the success this year and uh, i'm not sure if i mentioned the uh, the record or not but uh when you end a, a 58 game season with uh, 49 victories uh that's pretty good let's talk about some of those players uh, along the way and a couple of them obviously uh notable for the nhl draft this year maybe we'll start with carter savoy uh, quite the year he had for you not the biggest guy in the world, but uh, boy, big on talent. Oh, so so skilled, and you know what? Everyone, you know, the biggest question I get is, you know, what do you think of him away from the puck and this and that? And and guys, hey, listen, I get it. Everyone's looking for a two hundred foot guy that's uber responsible in his own end and has off the chart skills. And there's only a few Sidney Crosby's in the world, right? Mm-hmm. So, I mean, maybe one, but uh, but the reality is. As Carter Savoy's, every team I've talked to, you know, NHL teams that have, you know, asked opinions and that type of thing, tell me that in their mind, he's got top 10, 15 uh, skill level in the draft. So of those, you know, they figure he's one of the top 10 players in the draft as far as skill goes. And he is. And I mean, I, I don't, I don't say this, you know, to make light of it, but there's times where he scored goals this year where you have to turn the other way and go, oh my God, did I just see that? Mm. Like, oh. Like it was impressive. And I mean, this guy's a goal a game at 17 years old and guys that score 50 goals in our league. Most of them are 19 and 20 year old guys. If it ever happens. Right. right so right. him doing it at 17 key is just something that's unheard of. And, and uh, you know, Carter's Carter's starting to get to the gym the last few years and he's, he's worked on his, you know, his, his conditioning and stuff like that. And it's, you know, it's the elephant in the room and everyone. So my philosophy is, if he's just started training and taking it to the next level of training, what does that look like in two years? Right. That player. Right. So I think for me, if you don't like Carter Savoy as a player right now, then it's probably not a fit for your group. But if you love him as, and his ability and as, and as a player, I'll tell you what, the sky's a limit for him. And I really believe that like he just does some things on the ice that other players sees the ice, shoots the puck, slings the puck, to, you know, the handle of the puck and, you know, and, and we put him on the penalty kill on our, on our number two unit, a penalty kill this year. And the guy was lights out and had shorthanded goals. And, you know, and 
we played the what what I would think was the best team in our league outside, you know, in the south in Brooks, and and Carter had three goals against them, including a shorthanded goal. That's hard to do against good teams like that. Hmm. Uh, that's impressive for sure, and he played well at the uh, World Junior A Challenge, and uh, he took part in the. Uh, in the summertime series over in Russia there as well, didn't he? I, I seem to recall he watching him. Yeah. He, he's had yeah. a... Just not to cut you off, Key, but I think his World Junior A Challenge was just okay, I think. Mm. But I'll tell you what, his CJHL Prospects game, game uh, the game he had out east in Hamilton there, he scored a goal where the water bottle, when, he, when, it went, you know, when it went under the bar, the water bottle ended up at the hash marks, the goalie's mm. water bottle. I mean, it's... And I think it was a crowd stopper where everyone just went in silence and went, wow, okay, that's impressive. Excellent. So, you know, he, he has a, he has the ability to just to take to another level. And I'll tell you what, you can't get a better person. Like between him and Michael Benning, they're just, they're best friends. They're unreal people. They, you know, whether it's them recruiting players or talking to other teammates and how they treat people, it's just, second to none whether it's the older guys the younger guys like they just know how to treat people it's really quite awesome and they're sticking together as well at the next level they're both going to denver uh let's talk about michael benning and uh you've had him for a couple of years uh what have you seen from him in that time how has he grown as a player and what kind of a player is he well i'm glad you asked that because when we recruited mike and you know his dad brian had played a lot of years in the nhl as well and you know his brother's place for the oilers and you know, it's, I guess some people maybe, it's maybe intimidating to have that conversation. And when they ask you, what do you think of Michael as a player? And Brian asked me, you know, you, it's, it's not an easy answer sometimes because there's that part where well, I don't want to offend anyone, but I just was, I think I said to Brian, I, Brian, he's a riverboat gambler. And Brian started chuckling and he loved it because he is. And that's what he was when he came in at 16 and he's not that anymore. And, Jeff worked a lot with him on the defensive side of the game and, and in his own end and the 50-50 puck battles. And Mike's an undersized skilled defenseman with oh, just unbelievable vision and offensive flair. And, you know, is elusive. he's so elusive when guys think they got him trapped and he makes one little, you know, quick turn and a six-foot hitch pass through the middle, a little bump. And, you know, he's got guts galore, um, both for making a play and guts to, you know, he goes and gets pucks and he's, you know, like I say, he's a battler and there's so many good things about Mike's game that have come a long way. And, and I think a big part of, of us getting Mike is, is we knew what kind of player he was when he, you know, when we were recruiting him and we didn't, we didn't go out. Well, we think he's a defensive stalwart and, you know, he's, we're going to get him to penalty kill because mm-hmm. that's not the way it was. It wasn't why we were getting him. We were getting him to come in and, and, work on the other side of the, the puck on his game and, and be everything you are right now. That's what we're looking for. We want you to put up 60, 75 points. Mike Benning put up as many points this year, I think, as a year younger as far as hockey years go than Kale McCarr did when his 18-year-old year. Like, it's impressive. Uh, 75 points this season uh, for uh, Michael Benning. And uh, now if the world gets uh, going back to normal and everything is happening the way it's supposed to be, are, are both of those guys at Denver next year? I think that's the way it's supposed to work out. And, and, you know, and they've, you know, they've got some considerations for a few other options, but, or another option, but I think that's, that's the way it's starting to look. So, well, you know, and, and in the end, we signed up for a two year, you know, a two year program for those players. And, mm-hmm. you know, and people might say, you know, Chaser, why would you just do the two year, you know, kind of handshake agreement on two years with those guys? 
because we felt that Carter Savoy could put up 30 goals at 16 and, and more at 17, and that's what he did. And we felt that Mike Benning was a point-of-game defenseman coming in, and he was, and he did even, you know, point, point and a half here his, his second year, and we felt that. And, and so for us, he, we felt like we had eight 20-year-olds this year because those guys, you know, their play on the ice just dictated that. Now, we've talked about those two, but uh, he also had a, a drafted goaltender that uh, in Carter Guylander. Uh, who I, I think fair to say his season may have started a little bit slow, and I think there's a reason for that because of the the trip over to Russia with it and not playing at all. But uh, by the end of the year, he had really found his 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 groove uh, and was providing you that goaltending that you expected. Holy smokes! Yeah, he you know as the year went on, he just kept getting better, right? And you know he won the goalie of the year in our league, and he won you know in our tandem between him and Jordan Fry won won the uh, you know the equivalent to the Jennings trophy in our league in a sense for goals against. And, and he did a really good job and, you know, he's such a good teammate. It didn't matter if he was in that or, or if Jordan was in that, he was so supportive. He had a phenomenal mentor in Matt Berlin, who's at the U of A and Burley did such a good job with him last year and teaching him how to work hard and, you know, all that stuff. He works with Curtis Muka, who's the, you know, our goalie coach along with the oil Kings goalie coach. And, Skylander is back to the same thing as Savoy and Benning. He's top-notch person. He competes. He works hard at his game. He's going to Colgate this year, and he's, you know what, he's, I mean, Detroit Red Wings got a good one there because they can let him develop at Colgate. He can't teach 6'5", 6'6", and he's close to 6'6", so, and he's athletic, and, you know, we haven't, you know, we've had some good goalies in the past. He's very close to, you know, being that, you know, he's, he's a Matt Tompkins type goalie. All right. Uh, now those are the marquee names on the team, but uh, you're not going to have that much success uh, with, with only those three guys stepping up. So who are the other guys that uh, helped lead the way this year that maybe didn't get the spotlight uh, as often? Well, Arjun Outwell was the MVP of the league and he was our captain and he was a top scorer. And, you know, he just, I had, uh, I, I had a, a couple of affiliate players come up to me after and at the end of the year here and call and we check in with guys that are going to be, you know, Hughes and, and some of the Gibson and some of the guys that we've affiliated throughout the year and used as players that, that um, are going to be, you know, they're LOIs with us and going to be on our team this year. And every one of them to a guy just talked about Arjun and how he treated them when they came to the rink, whether it was for practices or to playing games and, you know, and just, how first class he was. So, you know, him and Will Zapernick and, and, you know, Jacob Fransack and Jared White, and Reed Irwin and Max Woodski and, you know, Ken, Jake Kendall and like all our 20 year old group were such a good group of players of quality people. That was the biggest thing for us is the, the kind of people we had there is everyone was, everyone knew they were on a special team. So no one was big time in anybody right? No yeah. one in the room was better than anyone else. And and I think that made our group even more special was how they treated each other and how hard they worked for one another at practice every day. I, I you know, Adam worked them hard and Jeff worked them hard. And, you know, our, our athletic therapist, Josh Armstrong's the best in the business by a lot. And, you know, and when he went over to Russia, I got a couple of messages back from, you know, Rick Swan and Boris Rebalka going, holy smokes, Kyle that guy's first first class and he's so good at this and that you know and it, you know from being around the oil kings how important that relationship is with your players that mm-hmm. that that person in the dressing room like rogan and and those guys with 
with the oil Kings, how important that relationship is with the players. Cause they deal with them almost more than anybody. Right. And with mm-hmm. the players and, you know, when he would come in and talk about our group, and the reason I bring him up is he'd talk about our group and how good of people we had. And he just couldn't believe it. He's like, these kids are, you know, these young men are just top floor people. And so it was nice to hear and it was flattering, but you know, how they treated the new guys and didn't matter if you played 10 games in our league or four years, they treated everyone the same. It was just it was so impressive. So, you know, hats off to almost all of them, but you know, going forward guys, we, we still have going forward a, a really good group of those guys. So we're pretty fortunate. Well, unfortunate the way things ended this year, as you said, you're the top team in the country, not just the, uh, the AJHL and uh, you got to buy through the first round of the playoffs and then everything ends. I, I think everybody would agree it was the right decision, but that's got to be a tough decision to, to shut everything Oof. down. Take me back to Oof. what the conversations were like at that point. Well, I think it was numbing. I think you just, first year, you didn't really buy into it. When they, when I had found out it was on a Thursday saying, or Wednesday maybe, and saying, okay, well, they're going to suspend play for a couple of weeks, and we're going to see where we're at. And then the following day, CJHL sent out a statement saying the season had been canceled. And I don't think it really resonated or hit home, I guess we'll say it resonated, but it didn't hit home. And I think I went through that part where, you know, I was like, well, let's just give it a few days and we'll see where it's at, right? Like, let's not get jumped to getting too upset too soon. And, you know, as time went by and here we are today, it's still numbing. It's, it's disappointing. It's, you know, I talked to Ryan Papuano yesterday on the phone in Brooks, and he said, you know, I said to Scotty, his assistant coach, he said, you know, Scotty, we didn't have the same team as we had last year. And I didn't think we had a great year, which, you know, he's a bit, <laughs> he's a bit slow playing his hand. They were a really good team again, as usual. And, mm-hmm. and he said, but how sick do you feel for, you know, the guys in Shura Park for Jeff and Adam and Chaser and those guys, like how bad is that? Like those guys had a really good team. And so, you know, guys around the league knew we had a good club and then we, they knew we were competitive and, you know, no one's giving you the, the league title. You got to go and earn it. But yeah. I think everyone knew that we had a legitimate chance to, to make some noise for the first time. And, you know, yeah, we got, we had a good team the year before, but it wasn't to the degree that we had this year. So, you know, it's, it's hard, not going to lie. The players, I feel the worst for, right? They put in all the time and effort, and they're trying to get better day by day. And, you know, and, and our coaches, they just, everyone puts in the amount of time that they put in and, and, and just to have it all yanked out from under you. We're no different than any other team, you know. Like somebody was going to win the Stanley Cup and somebody was going to win our league and the, and the, you know, the, the Royal Bank Cup or the, you know, the, we'll call it the Centennial Cup. And, Somebody was going to win that, and, and it may not have been the Sherwood Park Crusaders. So everybody's kind of in the same boat. But yeah, you're not you're not wrong. I mean, everyone, the elephant in the room is everyone knew that we had the team to to put something special together. There's no question. Well, definitely a loss from a hockey perspective, so business wise. It's a loss for a lot of teams for sure. Uh, and I mean, getting a chance to to go that deep in the playoffs and and onto the national championship and all of those types of things. That's, that would have been a nice financial bonus for the team too, wouldn't it? Oh, huge, yeah, huge, and it's affecting everybody's business. But yeah, you you lose. So we didn't get a playoff game, not one. So yeah. when you lose twenty five to thirty thousand dollars in revenue, um, every every home game that you would have had, we didn't get a home game, so we didn't have one game where we had twenty five thousand in revenue like some other teams did, and 
And we had none of that. I mean, when you look back and you start to kind of peel the onion a little bit, and then you don't have a spring camp that, you know, you make a little money off spring camp and it's not your fundraiser per se, but you, you know, you, you, everybody has a large contingent at their spring camps. When you take some of the revenue resources and now we can't have, you know, some of the skills and drills camps that our coaches run in the summer and that type of thing, you can't have a lot of those things. Gee, you know, you're at a spot where, God, you know, you're losing a lot of revenue for the whole program. So it's, uh, you know, it's been tough and, and some organizations, you know, uh, hopefully, hopefully everyone is in a good enough spot where, you know, going forward, they can, uh, they can have a, you know, a good season. Yeah, hopefully it uh, it doesn't affect anybody uh, too drastically. Although everybody is obviously going to be hit by it, I think everybody at, in all walks of life are getting hit by it financially uh, right now, for the most part. Long term projection or short term projection? I mean, is everything basically on hold? Do you, are you able to do anything these days? I mean, are the uh, all the owners and the having Zoom meetings and stuff like that too? What's what's the you know, the next couple of months look like at this level? Well, the next couple of months at this level currently right now are looking like you know they're 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 having a lot of talks. I know that uh, you know that that pay to play has risen, um, or you know the question of pay to play has has come up within our league, and it's come up in the BCHL, and and it's no one's made a decision on that. No one's sitting here saying, yeah, we're going to do it, or no, that's definitely not an option. I think they've they've had those discussions. I don't know how far down the the field those discussions are, but uh, you know from our perspective. I think we're no different than any other business where you're looking for other sources of revenue just to keep the doors open. Right. One other thing that I wanted to ask you about, the uh, some of the CJHL leagues have uh, gone with a draft. Um, the AJ8 does not yet. Uh, any thoughts on uh, on a draft moving forward? Um, well, I, I was a big supporter of the draft, um, you know, we'll call it five years ago. And, a lot of the teams in the league said, no, thanks, not interested, no, no, need a draft, that type of thing. And now, um, you know, I think there is some appetite for it. I don't have the same appetite for it. Um, they put in this, they put in, you know, the letter of intent for teams. So teams can go out there and recruit good players and get commitments from them on January 10th to June 1st. And, on June 1st, they get put on a CHA card is how that letter of intent works. And a lot of teams didn't want the draft. Well, guess what? Now a lot of those teams are saying, maybe we will have the draft. Hmm. And I'm saying, no, why would I want the draft? Because right yeah. now we can go out and you know, our head scout, Brad Morgan, does an amazing job. And I know you know Brad and uh, used to be with Portland. And, you know, he does an amazing job and watches a ton of hockey games. And, and he's, you know, he's, hey, we're starting to get some of those top guys. We don't necessarily want to have a draft now. Right. And now the other teams that we, you know, were in that position before, we're saying, ah, oh, we don't need a draft. Well, you know, it, the the times are changing, and now they're saying, well, maybe we should have a draft. Right. So it's interesting. Um, I'm not against it. I think it's a really good opportunity for marketing for our league. I think if you take those midget 15-age players, and you're out of their Bantam draft, and we know who's who in the zoo, so to speak, as far as what guys are committed to major junior and what guys aren't. We could we could facilitate a draft. I mean, that's a whole other discussion you and I could spend an hour on talking about <laughs> the Bantam draft being too early in the Western Hockey League a year yeah, too early. I agree. But uh, 
the OHL gets it right more than not, often than not because they got an extra year to watch a player develop. I mean, right. that's that's just the bottom line. So, you know, and we can sit here and argue that that's not the case, but I think, you know, you could probably have a better argument to say that it is the case. So I think, I think from our perspective, if we could have that draft on players that are in the midget 15 triple or midget 15 minor or whatever you want to call that league, um, I think there's a, there's a market for that and there might be an appetite for it. And it's really a, a heck of a marketing opportunity for, for our league to have that draft at that time because most of those Bantam players, some of them that were higher picks might not be in a position to go to major junior the following year. And some of those guys that are lower picks might've developed and it, it just changes. I mean, it changes every year. So every year that a person player gets to develop is another year closer that he could be to playing junior a or, or major junior. So I think that landscape is going to change, but who knows? I, like I said, I'm not, I'm not one of the guys right now saying let's push for a draft because I'm, I'm, it's not necessary for our group right now. Right, right. Uh, one other thing I lied out. One other thing I wanted to ask you about um, the uh, college commitments throughout the AJHL. There's a lot on the website for each team. Like I think you have ten guys or something, and, and a lot of them are going yep. Division One. Has that increased league wide over the last few years? I don't remember. I, I seem to recall like if you had three or four guys going to Division One, that's pretty good. But you've got like ten guys, and, and most of them going Division One. You're absolutely right. It has changed. The landscape of that has changed immensely. And it used to be, well, BC, BC, BC. Right. And BC is a bit of a different style. And I have i don't watch it a ton, but I watch it a little bit if we're trying to make a move on a player, that type of thing. And I guess, uh, you know, I talk to a lot of scouts and agents and those guys, and they tell me that the biggest difference perhaps is defensively. There's maybe a little more run and gun in the BCHL versus what's happening in our league as far as the defensive structure side goes. And, and, Colleges were, you know, probably in the past decade, were probably leaning towards more BCHL players. But I would venture to guess with our group in Sherwood Park and the job Tyler does in in uh, Okotoks and Ryan and Brooks and Robin in Spruce Grove that, you know, I'll put our statistics up against any team in that league statistics as far as who's getting scholarships, how many players are getting drafted. Not too many drafts have gone by without a, Okotoks Oiler or Brooks Bandit, a Spruce Grove Saints or Shirt Park Crusader getting drafted off, you know, in those National Hockey League entry drafts. So um, we're pretty proud of where we're at. And as an organization, we're really proud as a league. And I think we're, you know, we're, we're every bit as good now. And, and I think you're, you know, colleges are starting to see it. And, you know, and one thing I, I will allude to, Dee, is when colleges have confidence in your program, they'll come to you about players and say, hey, what do you think of this guy? Are you interested in keeping this guy for a year or two? And we'll get him onto our program. And when people start getting confidence in you, um, it makes recruiting so much easier. Yeah, no kidding. Well, that's great. Uh, well, Chase, I, I kept you a long time. I really appreciate uh, you making the time for the show again. I hope everything is, is good with you and your family, and uh, I hope we can do this again. Likewise, Guy, uh, it's always a pleasure, and you know you do such a good job with junior hockey. And miss seeing you at the station back in the day there, yes, and yes. Uh, and uh, I know I know how passionate you are about the game, and uh, just keep up the good work. That's Kyle Chase of the uh, Sherwood Park Crusaders, formerly the uh, morning show co-host on uh, TSN 1260, much like I used to have a show on TSN 1260. So uh, brothers in arms in that regard. Uh, I think the Crusaders, uh, what, man, what a terrific season they had. And they had a team that was built to go the distance this year. And unfortunately, with the turnover that we see in the AJHL, 
as guys go off to college. And that appears to be the case here with uh, some of their top players. And uh, obviously Arjun Atwal, who's uh, now uh, out of eligibility. You wonder how big of a, a rebuild that will take uh, for the Crusaders to do. But as you heard Kyle uh, mention, their scouting staff does a great job. they got a great coaching staff as well. So perhaps it's more of a, a reload than a rebuild for Sherwood Park. Only time will tell. Up next, we're going to head south of the border. And uh, Dave Starman, uh, who, for my money, one of the best uh, analysts uh, for hockey uh, at any level, uh, he's going to join me. We'll talk. Uh, we'll put a kind of a bow on the uh, college hockey season. Uh, find out his thoughts on the whole shutdown and uh, some of the awards that have been uh, given out and things like that. We'll also pick his brain about the NCAA logo tournament as well. So all of that coming up next here on the Pipeline Show. Sean takes a look. Sean oh takes a my! Look. And it's deflected in by Ryan Paling. Sean. Hey, it's Ryan Palin from St. Cloud State University, and you're listening to The Pipeline Show. Passion, talent, development. NCAA hockey offers all that, and its players graduate at a 90% rate. Jonathan Taves. Backhand scorer! Wow, what a goal! Colton Pareko. Sharp. We're stars on campus before the NHL stage. Whether you are a fan or a player, nothing compares to college hockey. Visit collegehockeyinc.com and follow at College Hockey. Champions of the college hockey world! You're listening to The Pipeline Show with Guy Flaming. And boom goes the dynamite. Back on the Pipeline Show, time to talk a little college hockey, or as much as we can at the at this point uh, in time, but uh, all the college hockey segments brought to you by College Hockey, Inc. If you're a player or you have one in your family and you need to know what you can, what you can't do to maintain your college eligibility, well, College Hockey, Inc., great resource to help you do that. Uh, my guest today is uh, one of the best analysts uh, out there at any level, uh, Dave Starman. Welcome back to the Pipeline Show. How are you, Dave? Ah, we're doing all right. Feels good to be back on, and you know, just like the rest of the rest of the planet, <laughs> just getting used to the new normal. Uh, well, and for you, I mean, you're in Long Island, aren't you? Yes, I am. Well, your country has been hit harder than anybody, and uh, you're part of the country. From what I understand, it's been hit uh, uh, pretty pretty hard. So, what is life like uh, in Long Island right now? It's bizarre. It's it's quiet. It's relatively little traffic there's not a lot going on i mean you know grocery stores are open the essentials are open but there's not a lot of traffic out on the streets and you know everybody's walking around with masks and gloves and trying to get out and ride their bike or get some exercise you know the boardwalks are closed the not a lot of people walking around on the beaches it's just it's surreal in a lot of ways and and it's hopefully something that within a couple of months will be something we talk about 10 years from now and aren't still going through it yeah absolutely all right well thank you for taking some time and uh, we'll have a bit of a distraction from real life here for the next uh, few minutes uh, as we chat about uh, what we should have been talking about with the uh, you know the the recent uh, national championships should have wrapped up last weekend we we do have some news with uh, the hobie baker and uh, the uh, mike richter award and stuff like that but uh, maybe take me back to 
I guess it was March 8th. That's the last games that were played. After that, everything uh, being shut down, where were you when kind of that decision was made? And, and maybe take me through your thoughts at that time. Oh, coming off a weekend where uh, CBS Sports Network had just finished its NCHC regular season package. We, the Friday night, there was a game between CC and Denver up in Colorado Springs. And then we did the Saturday night game, the rematch between those two back in Denver. And we left Denver and there's a lot of buzz going on about what might happen as this pandemic continues to spread. But I don't think anybody saw this coming. And the following weekend, I was getting ready to do a game for the Big Ten Network. It was the opening round of the Big Ten playoffs. I had Minnesota at Penn State, which I was excited about. And, you know, then the NBA player tested positive, which I think was either on a Wednesday or a Thursday night, and put on, you know, we quickly switched. When we saw that news, we quickly switched to uh, Sports Center down here. It might be the first time in a decade I've watched it because it was, you know, it was riveting TV for a while with this whole arena getting emptied out and the NBA suspending play. And once that happened, I think all of us within our circle basically knew that everybody else was going to fall in line. And over the next couple of days, the ECAC and the Ivy League started to, to say that they were going to cancel their events, and the NCAG started to cancel out their tournament. The NCAA was talking about canceling out March Madness, and that all started to percolate right around that week. Yeah, yeah, real sad ending to the uh, to the year for everybody. I've talked to a few uh, handful of players uh, since it all came to an end, and. I feel really bad for the seniors. It's it's one thing to lose your last game, but not not even to get to play your last game. Uh, that's that's got to be uh, a pretty uniquely devastating for for guys like that. You know, I've, I always felt uh, some sense of sorrow for the programs because you start really when the season ends, you take a little time to lick your wounds, and but then you're right back out on the recruiting trail, and players are starting to get their off season workouts, letting their bodies heal, and mentally and physically getting into their recovery mode and finishing up school, you know, for some of the graduations a month and a half away. And the support staff is, they're the people you don't get talked about a lot. I mean, whether it be the medical trainer, equipment staff and hockey ops staff, or they, they feel like they are working year, you know, day long and, and never get enough credit. And you, you just feel bad that the group as a whole doesn't get a chance to see its collective end, especially some of those teams that really had a, a great chance to go. So I feel bad for them. I, I feel bad for the people whose revenues depended on these events continuing to move forward. And I can certainly feel bad for the fan bases because as you mentioned, it's, it's a great distraction and a place to put just some pure passion when you're rooting for your teams. Hey, speaking of uh, NHL teams and scouting and stuff, you have ties to an NHL club. How do you go about your business right now? Well, it's funny. We're the only team that doesn't have to worry about a player getting hurt if the NHL comes back, right? So, you know, for that, that's a that's a good thing. But the, I, you know, what we've done in Seattle is just had a lot of conversation between uh, Ronnie Francis, Ricky Olchek, and the entire scouting staff, and we're just exchanging ideas. The the organization is a year away from participating in the draft, but you know, there's still the expansion draft to discuss. There's free agency coming up around that time, and obviously rosters will change going to next year in terms of where certain NHL players are and potential new landing sites, but it's, it's been an amazing thing to watch the advanced preparation from two years out, now going to one year out, and then eventually going for just, you know, the end of the summer and out. And it's, it's, it's been fun to be a part of because of the amount of, of discussion about different players, different scenarios, and obviously, you know, the need to build a franchise where you've got, 
you know, close to 50 contracts and bodies in uniform. Do you know if my uh, name suggestion of the Seattle Starman has uh, started to gain traction yet? <laughs> uh, the Seattle Starbucks, I could see, but the, <laughs> I, it's funny. They, they've been really good about not letting the name out or the colors out or, or anything. And I, I just think they want to do it right. And I remember there's talk about last year, you don't want to do it around the NHL all-star break, but it, it was pushed back. And I, I guarantee a part of it was just the trademarking part of it was dotting the eyes and, crossing the T's. This has been a really detailed oriented group. So when that name, logo, uniform style colors come out, it'll be after a lot of discussions with a lot of people to make sure that to the best of their ability, they got it right. Dave Starman, uh, a longtime uh, college hockey analyst uh, on several platforms and several networks, uh, my guest here on the Pipeline Show. Uh, all right, let's talk about some of the news that has uh, come out here in the last little bit. Uh, we'll start with uh, Scott Perunovich uh, winning the, the Hobie Baker Award. Um, your thoughts on that? Was that a, a slam dunk in your mind? Not a slam dunk, but it was the right choice. And I thought that the call, you know, we have a call every year, and this year I'm a non-voting member of the Hobie Committee, uh, but I've been okay. on it twice for two, three-year terms. And those, the conference call between the 28 voting members can be either really good or it can be okay. And the last couple of years it's been great. This year's was terrific, where all 10 candidates really got discussed with a lot of detail between the scouts, the media, officials that are on there and there's a lot of talk about Swayman there's a lot of talk about Perunovich there's a lot of talk about Kawaguchi there's a lot of talk about Leonard a lot of talk about Dugan a lot of talk about Michaelis and you know Dryden McKay was interesting because his numbers were good but I think he might have been the unfortunate victim of being that real good goalie on a great team and I remember David McKee of Cornell you know that was an issue for us on the committee of the year that McKee's name was out there too and but there was just really good discussion but the the bottom line to me on Perunovich was this, and this is the deciding factor in, in my mind with a lot of, you know, a lot of the people in a lot of the discussion. Perunovich had 40 points on the year, half of them were on the power play. He was still a plus 18 though. So that's a lot of even strength points that he was on the ice to generate. And his defensive game to me was the most unheralded part of his game. That got talked about. And the fact that when Minnesota Duluth played its natural rivals in big games on the road, all those criteria in the scouting world we look at to see if a player shows up game in, game out, you checked every box, and I think that's what pushed him over. Well, you had uh, Perunovich, a defenseman. You had Swayman, a goaltender, and Kawaguchi, a forward. Uh, so all three positions basically uh, represented in the Hobie hat trick. If you're going to, you know, if I was looking at criteria and trying to break a three way tie, Kawaguchi is the only Canadian, so you know he would have got my vote. But, that's uh, good points. Yeah, and uh, we'll, we'll we'll keep that in mind for next year. Uh, you know, Kale McCarr got it last year, so the committee followed suit uh, last year with McCarr. But um, uh, Sway, Swayman doesn't get the Hobie, but uh, he does get the Mike Richter Award as the top goaltender, and and I guess that shouldn't be a surprise considering he was in the Hobie hat trick. And you know, here's the thing: like you look at his numbers, and you say, okay, you know, not bad. But the thing with Swayman is, and here's one of the weighted criteria I always look at. If you're a really good player on a really good team, you don't have to be as good a player as a really good player on an average team. And, you know, no disrespect to Maine. They weren't a powerhouse. And Swayman was the, as a player, was one of the main reasons, if not the main reason, that the University of Maine was poised to play in the national tournament. And that really weighed in heavily in my mind. And, you know, then when you, when you look at some of his numbers, and numbers don't tell the whole story, but they told a good one in this respect. I looked at the top five scoring teams in Hockey East. And against those five teams, 
he was able to put up a goals against that was better than what their average goal total for was. So he rose to the level of a top competition in Hockey East regarding keeping his goals down against the big scoring teams. And against those big scoring teams, he was 5-6-1 and one in those games. That's a really good record for a team that wasn't great defensively against the upper echelon of his conference. And to me, that was one of the things that carried him not only into the Hobie hat trick, but also carry him to win the Mike Richter. Now, Swayman, uh, drafted by Boston, has signed with them. Pernovich, drafted by St. Louis, has signed with them. Kawaguchi, not drafted. Do you expect he signs with somebody, or does he go back for a final year at North Dakota? I think, from what I remember, he said he was going to go back for his final year. I don't, I'm not 1,000% sure, but I'm pretty sure that Brad Schlossman had put something out in the Grand Forks Herald about that. And, and I think for Kawaguchi, it's a great idea to go back. He's going to play on a great line. With Colin Adams and Grant Mismash, that line was as good as any in the nation last year. He's going to continue to prove his game. North Dakota just cranks out NHL players at a, at a rapid rate. It's a, it's a wonderful place to play college hockey for the environment, the building, the facilities, and especially the coaching staff, Brad Berry, Dean Jackson, Carl Gehring. They do an awesome job at preparing players to be pros. So, And here's the thing. you know, Whereas North Dakota lost a couple of key guys, they got mm-hmm. some really good players coming in. They didn't lose a lot of their core. So they are loaded for bear and ready to go and are pissed off that they didn't get a chance to play in the national tournament and win this thing because they thought they had every chance in the world to do so. So for me, Kawaguchi going back next year makes all the sense in the world, and it only makes him more attractive to the NHL teams he's trying to find a job with. Well, I think North Dakota at the end of the year, as we sit right now, we're number one in the pairwise. And I know a lot of te- every team loses seniors uh, from this year's roster going into next year, and everybody, every team has an incoming crop of freshmen. It might be too early to ask this question, but outside of North Dakota, are there some of the other top teams from this year you think are going to be right back at it again next year? I think Minnesota State will. I mean, they're going to lose seven seniors, but the beauty of Minnesota State and the way that Mike Hastings and his group has built that program uh, starting with the really good upgrades they have done to the infrastructure there regarding players' lounges, weight rooms, uh, video rooms, all the off-ice facilities you need to be a good player are now at Minnesota State. That's a really attractive place to play, starting with the head coach and going straight through the building and its location. But the, they have created a culture there because their seniors stay. Or I, well, actually, that's a stupid way to say it. Their players stay to become seniors. That's kind of what I meant. And it helps mm-hmm. create a culture there whereby that next group of juniors that become seniors is just going to walk into the footsteps of the group in front of them. But the establishment is there of what they expect, how they want to do things, and they'll have a good chance to not necessarily pick right up where they left off, but the thread from last year to this coming season is going to be there, which I think for them is a really good thing. So they're just one program that I look at and I say, we'll be in pretty good shape uh, moving into next year. Dave, uh, really recently, Vermont has found their new head coach, Todd Woodcraft, uh, going in uh, to be the new head coach for the Catamounts. Uh, I, I'm sure you've crossed paths with him in the past. Uh, how do you like this fit? This could be a really good one. I thought there were some really good candidates that were out there, some that are in college hockey right now and, and some that were external. I thought that Vermont did a pretty extensive search. And, and when it comes to Todd Woodcroft, he and I have crossed paths on a couple of occasions as we've both been speakers at a wonderful symposium called the Coaches Site, which Fortunately, this year won't go on because of the pandemic, but uh, there have been some tremendous speakers that have been at this thing, and, and he's been one of them. And I've really enjoyed his presentations, and you know, there's a video catalog on the site if you're a member, and you go back and watch some stuff. And I pulled a lot of stuff off of his presentations that I used with my Tier 1 U14 this, 14 team this year 
uh, here on Long Island. And uh, he's got great energy. He is a details guy. Uh, he's to me, he's one of those coaches that's constantly looking for more. That's constantly looking to get better. I'm a big believer in those guys, and I love the way he teaches. I love his communication skills. I I love the way he can command the room. And you know, as we all know, it's not necessarily about X's and O's. I mean, you've got to be able to be a skills guy and teach skills. You've got to be able to teach your player structure. There, there's an honest component to it. There's no question. But to me, if you're a really good learner and a really good communicator, and you can do what Pat Riley talked about in his book, The Winner Within, in terms of don't have to, you don't have to teach your players everything you know, but make sure they understand what little you're going to teach them or what topics you're going to teach them, then you have got it made as a head coach. And that's where I think that Todd coming to Vermont is going to be a really good fit just because of his communication skills and how well he can teach the game plus the background that he brings. Uh, Dave, I know I've been uh, I'll get to the hard hitting stuff here in a second. I know I've been uh, clogging up everybody's Twitter feeds with this uh, NCAA logo tournament that I've been uh, tweeting out here in the last little bit, looking for content to talk about on the show with no sports going on. But when it comes to uh, logos for NCAA programs, are there two or three that stand out in your mind that uh, that you think will do well in this tournament? I got my little, I got my fourteen year old with me here, Ryan, who's sitting here listening to that question. So I'm going to let you. Uh... Ryan, I'll let you think about that for a second and see if you come up Excellent. with one. But there are there are a couple that I, re- I love Minnesota State. I, ju- I love the bowl. Uh, Matt McConnell, my former broadcast partner at CBS College Sports, you know, we used to we nicknamed them the Purple Bowl. I just think it's a great logo. So so that would be one. When you look around, I love the Bear and Cornell's logo. I just think that's just it's a good look and just, just yeah. the way it, it yeah. sits. You know, so that to me is one. I love the Fighting Sioux logo. When North Dakota had that, so, you know that was certainly there. The sure. two Bulldogs at Ferris State, Minnesota Duluth, use I mean, those are pretty good. You know, Boston College got that nice classic look. I do like the Terrier at BU. Uh, so, Ryan, you got one? Uh, you, you, I know you like the Fighting Sioux one. Yeah, let's just say that. Um, the Denver one, pretty good, right? Yeah. That's the, the Hawks they use. Anything I on you? The NCHC beside Omaha. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we, we we like. I kind of like the Bull in Omaha. I'm sorry to see that that went away. But yeah, there are there are some good ones. The one thing I do like, guy, and tell me if you if you think about this too. There is the traditional look on a jersey where you've got the name of the team maybe slanted diagonally across the front, kind of like the Rangers have in the NHL. Sure. So yeah. the name of your institution on the front versus a logo on the front. Your thoughts on that? Because I'm, I mean, I I think if you've got a great logo, you got to show it. I think there are a lot of teams that just stick with the name branding versus the logo. Yeah, it's funny because there's so many teams. Well, first off, there's so many teams that have more than one logo. I mean, you can look at a team like Mercyhurst. They've got, you know, three or four different logos that they throw on the, on the front of their jersey. And there are teams that have, you know, just a, a single letter. Yale has a Y. Union has a yep. U. You know, Mi- Michigan and, uh, and Minnesota and, uh, I think Miami now is just going with an M as well. So there's really simple logos like that. Uh, and then you get some fairly creative ones as well. You mentioned the Boston University; they got the dog and BU on there, and um, so it, it it's interesting to see how uh, the the listeners and the people who are voting on the on this uh, this little Twitter tournament uh, how they feel about it because there's some real hit and miss ones. You mentioned a couple of your favorites at the start; they're actually uh, in tough. Uh, Cornell is is losing right now as we speak. Uh, to the Alaska Nanooks, and uh, um, it, it'll be funny one. to and see the, how it plays black, out. By the way, the Black Bear at Maine is another great one, too. Yeah. Uh, but let, let me divert for for 30 seconds on a great story about Mercyhurst. Their head coach is Rick Gotkin, who, who is one of the all-time great human beings in our game and might be the funniest human being on the planet. 
And we were doing a game between them and Army, and this has to be at least a decade ago. And Mercyhurst is at Army. And remember, they've got the Whalers-looking green jerseys. They've got their blue jerseys. So they brought both of them with them that weekend. So they finished their morning skate. I'm sitting in the stands watching Army's morning skate. And, and Rick, who's from Brooklyn, New York, like I am, so I've known him a while, Rick comes up and he brings up both jerseys. And the green one had just, the blue one had the M and the green one had the word Mercyhurst on it. And right. he says to me, I got a question for you. For national TV, which jersey should we wear tonight? And I thought to myself, you know, there's something Red Barrett's never going to come up and ask me, right? So, so I looked at Rick and I went, you're kidding. And he goes, no, I'm being serious. Like, which one do you think we should wear tonight? And I thought to myself, how cool is this that an NCAA head coach could think that way ahead of what's going to look better on TV and what's going to represent his program for a national broadcast? I thought that was one of the coolest things that I'd experienced in my tenure there. And I said to him, the green ones, I love them because they look like the Whalers. I said, but they say Mercyhurst on them. You want the branding, wear the green. And he said, okay, we'll do it. And every time we ever did them on the road, Mercyhurst wore the greens because of that. <laughs> That's awesome. That's a great story for sure. Well, yep. Dave, uh, listen, I really appreciate your time. Uh, thank your son as well for his input. And uh, hopefully <laughs> the next time you're on, we're talking about things happening on the ice instead of uh, – the craziness that we're all experiencing and, and living through right now. Thanks again for your time, man. Uh, stay safe. I appreciate spending a few minutes. We'll talk to you soon. You as well. That's Dave Starman from the uh, Seattle Starman, as well as uh, ace analyst uh, for college hockey and hockey in general. You can always catch him uh, Frozen Four time on ESPN. And you heard him mention the Big Ten Network, CBS Sports Network, and a lot of other places as well. So, uh, if you get a chance to watch a game and Dave Starman is part of the broadcast, uh, it's going to be a good one. Also a glimpse at the second generation, the next generation of uh, Starman analysts there. A great job uh, from his son. All right, we have one segment left to go on the show. And uh, joining me next via the Troubled Monk hotline, as all my guests do, will be someone from Troubled Monk. Let's talk to Bud Kelly next here on the Pipeline Show. Down the left side, pass over to Ashton. Oh, what a stop! Darcy Kemper, what a gutsy performance this evening at the NMAX Centria. This is Cam Moon, voice of the Red Deer Rebels, and you're listening to The Pipeline Show. compares to the smile on a child's face after their wish has been granted. The Rainbow Society of Alberta is dedicated to granting wishes throughout the province to children who have been diagnosed with a life-threatening or severe chronic medical illness. And you can help too. View the wishes, refer a child, and donate at rainbowsociety.ab.ca or get involved as a volunteer. Having a wish come true fills a child's heart with hope and happiness. Visit rainbowsociety.ab.ca today. You're listening to The Pipeline Show with Guy Flaming. Make it better. Turn off the good. Turn down the suck. Back on The Pipeline Show. And uh, over the last uh, couple of months, you've been hearing me say all my guests join us via the Troubled Monk hotline. Uh, I figured it was appropriate at this point to uh, get somebody from Troubled Monk to come on the show and talk about what they do. And uh, that means Bud Kelly is my guest now. Uh, Bud, welcome to The Pipeline Show (laughs) via the Troubled Monk hotline. How are you? 
<laughs> I'm great. Thanks for having me, Guy. It's uh, it's uh, always great to hear you introduce your guest via the hotline, and uh, and and what's better? What's a better way, especially in uh, in today's day and age, to, uh, to to talk to somebody over a beer? Uh, well, uh, let's start with that. Uh, things are awfully strange these days. I know for you down in Red Deer with the tap room, I, I know you guys have kind of uh, halted some of the the things that you do down there. And I was desperately trying to get down to uh, the tap room right before all the the hockey stuff got shut down. So I haven't had a chance to get in there just yet. Mooner and I, Cam Moon and I, were uh, going to come and stop by at the the uh, the last uh, uh, games of the of the regular season between the Oil Kings and the Rebels, but I I, I, I have I had those circled on the calendar. Gee, I was looking forward to joining you guys for a pint in the tap room, but uh, but it's not it's not canceled. It's just postponed. I promise. That's right. That's right. Well, we'll get to it uh, sooner, hopefully, uh, as opposed to later. But what's what's life uh, like down in Red Deer right now for you for you and your staff? Yeah. So the kind of the kind of the the, the word of the week or the word. Uh, that we've been using so much uh, lately has been pivot and, and, and we, we, we've pivoted to doing, uh, to doing hand sanitizer here. So we're producing hand sanitizer, uh, uh, daily and, uh, and helping the community a little bit with that, uh, as well as keeping, uh, keeping our people employed and keeping the lights on and keep things going as best we can because we have lost a fair amount of business with, uh, with restaurants and bars that are suffering so, so much. Uh, mm-hmm. we're still, we're still making beer and, uh, Still producing for liquor stores and uh, and even doing a little uh, home delivery. How how tough is that to convert part of what you do making beer to now making hand sanitizer and cleanser? Well, well, me, me from the uh, from the sales side of the table, it was simple. But uh, <laughs> but of course, our, uh, our our guys in the brewery certainly wouldn't uh, wouldn't agree with that. No, it was uh, it, it was quite a challenge figuring out a uh, supply chain. Lots of issues there um, uh, to, to be able to be able to not not only. Uh, do the sanitizer but to be able to do the volumes that uh, that were demanded uh, r- right out of the gates as soon as we announced it the phone was ringing off the hook for the better part of three weeks so uh, so we finally got up production wise have uh, have lots of sanitizer available um so supplying lots of places around uh, the the people that really need it on the front lines and uh, we're we're just trying to do our part right now well that's great for sure you can get a, a beer can sized uh, uh quantity of uh Hand cleanser. You can also get a four liter uh, jug as well. Uh, now, the other big thing that you guys are doing right now is the the free uh, home delivery seven days a week. Get your order in by one o'clock in uh, in Calgary, Red Deer, and Edmonton. You're delivering right to the people's homes. Right, right to the door. We we we, we still want to produce beer. We still want to have it out there and get, get it to the people for sure. Uh, people are uh, a little weary of leaving their homes, so we thought, what better way than to to, to get it right to them? So. Uh, been doing that like you mentioned in uh, in Calgary uh in Red Deer uh in Edmonton Sherwood Park and St. Albert have just been added here last week so so we're doing, uh, servicing that area as well. Okay, excellent. I was going to ask if you actually expand outside of the uh the big city limits uh, uh to some degree and so good to hear Sherwood Park St. Albert as well. Uh what's the response Absolutely. been like from people? Are you getting lots of orders? Yeah, yeah, the, 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 the response has been good for sure. Um People are we we continue kind of business as usual as far as beers we're bringing out. So we just released uh, uh, we just released a, a brand new IPA that we've added to our full time lineup called uh, Juicy Gossip, mm-hmm. um, and and that of course is, uh, has sparked some interest and, and added to some orders. So uh, I, I didn't know if you were able, were you able to get your hands on some of that. Uh, I did. I had uh, a can of that just uh, on the weekend, uh, and uh, yeah, the big tall boys four packs uh, they come in. Uh, it's great. Yeah, it was awesome uh, addition to the lineup. 
Yeah, it's it's we we we've never done a full time IPA and we've never done a a full time tall can. So this is uh this is new to us, but not really new to craft beer. So we're uh, we're 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 just joining all the cool kids, I guess. <laughs> well, speaking of which, how'd you get into this business in the first place, bud? Well, actually, uh, when the uh, laws were relaxed or adjusted a little bit back in uh, late 2013, 2014 is when uh, uh, the idea of Trouble Monk started with uh, with our founder, uh, Charlie Bredo, um, and he uh, started the paperwork portion of it and, and getting things going. So we opened our doors in June of 2015. So we were expecting to have a real big fifth birthday party, but uh, that's not going to happen. It's going to be postponed anyway. Maybe it'll yeah. be a five and a half birthday party or maybe we just transfer it to six. I don't know. But uh, yeah, we've been, we've been at it here five years now and uh, I got involved just Charlie's a, a childhood friend of mine and uh, we played lacrosse together years, years ago. So when he was opening a brewery, he, said, hey, I'm going to need a sales guy at some point in time. So he gave me a call, and we talked about it for a few months. And uh, and when he had need for that, he brought me on. Well, and I know uh, eventually you want uh, global domination and get troubled monk everywhere, but uh, you got to walk before you can run. Uh, my audience is uh, throughout North America, and if somebody you know from Saskatchewan or Ontario, if they want troubled monk, can they get it yet? We are currently just in Alberta. Uh, oh, Always looking at uh, at other opportunities, whether it be two other provinces or other countries, I suppose. Uh, uh, as of right now, just available in Alberta. Okay. Um, but we don't we, we don't ever uh, when we get through some of these crazy times, we won't ever stop anybody from uh, from coming to the tap room to uh, to enjoy what uh, what Red Deer has to offer. Perfect. And if there are people in in uh, more rural areas and maybe their local liquor store doesn't have a Troubled Monk, how do they get it? I love getting that question about, uh, you know, my local liquor store doesn't have it. Uh, the, the, the thing I want to instill in everybody and have them know that if you're ever looking, if you're ever looking for a beer that, uh, not only our beer, but any beer, uh, any liquor store can get it. If it's available in the province of Alberta, they can get their hands on it. So, um, sometimes it's having our customers do our work for us a little bit, but, uh, but if your local liquor store doesn't carry it, Simply ask because they can order it for you. Excellent, and I know you have a a, a a tribute to the Red Deer Rebels. You're based in Red Deer, so that uh, that connection uh, is pretty obvious. Uh, the Rebels Red, it's one of my favorites uh, that you produce. Um, tell me about that relationship with the Rebels. Yeah, they're, they're, it's kind of a natural relationship, of course, both uh, being in Red Deer and, and, and the Rebels are a, a bit of an institution in town. We have a very good relationship with them, and and we thought it would be fun to uh, to come up with a beer that. Uh, that uh, spoke, spoke to their audience a little bit. It's uh, it's a very very uh, local beer, and when I say very local beer, I mean, uh, geez, we're about ninety two percent of the malt that's in that beer we source in about a twenty mile radius. Uh, wow! The boys right down the road at Red Shed Malting in uh, in Penhold help us out with the malt in that one, and uh, and of course that's uh, that's what the Sutters are all about is uh, the 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 Prairie Boys uh, uh, local feel for sure. Do you have a favorite? I mean, you have how many brews? Do you, different brews do you make that are available in liquor stores? I know you have a lot more on tap at the tap room, but um, of the ones you can buy at the liquor store, do you have a favorite? <laughs> I, I I hate being asked that question because yes, of course, I have a favorite, but it changes a lot, right? So yeah. I, I, I never want to be held to it, but uh, no, I, I I've always been a fan of our uh, pesky pig pale ale. Uh, it's an excellent beer. It was one of our first ones. It's our uh, top seller right now, although we do think that that uh, will be taken over when we get more of this uh, IPA, uh, Juicy Gossip IPA out to the world. So yeah. uh, I, right right now, if you're asking me right now, and please don't hold me to it, Guy, but I, I tell you the pesky pig pale ale. 
Well, and it's funny because what you said, it changes often. I noticed that too. When I started trying all the different varieties, one day I would like one uh, more than the next one, and, but the next week I might have the other one again, and, and it'd be like, wow, I, I like this one a lot more than I did the first time I tried it, and I don't know what it is. None of them are bad, that's for sure, but sometimes I like one more one day than I did the same one the day before. I don't know what it is. It's it's it's, it's, it's very true. It's very true. Just anytime anybody asks you, just don't make sure they don't hold you to it. Yes, exactly. Well, uh, but I really appreciate your time. Uh, certainly wish you the best of luck moving forward here with the, uh, the, the home deliveries. And, uh, let's just hope we get back to operating, uh, normal sooner as opposed to later. And, uh, Mooner and I can come down to the tap room and, uh, and, uh, meet you in person. Well, yeah, we're, 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 we're looking forward uh, to, to getting back to a little bit of normalcy. Uh, not, not, not only for beer drinking, but what goes better with beer drinking than, than watching some hockey. And that, that flies right into it. Uh, with uh, with your audience and, uh, and and what you're doing and geez we just want some sports back don't we absolutely hey thanks for your uh, participation here with the show too i really appreciate it thanks key i appreciate it there is uh, bud kelly uh, from uh, troubled monk and again the website troubledmonk.com you can get your hands on a uh, number of uh, different varieties uh, and they'll bring them right to your door in my can- in my hand right now this is a uh, an empty can of uh, daycation that I uh, was enjoying last night, and uh, I know that I'll be uh, cracking open a few more here uh, as well. This coming week's going to be beautiful in Alberta. I was checking out the uh, forecast. Uh, mid to high teens all this coming week. Uh, we still have a little bit of snow around in uh, this part of the world where we are. Uh, it's going to be gone here uh, very, very shortly. Uh, I mean, most of it is gone now. In fact, there was a flood basically uh, through my backyard as. Uh, uh, where I live, the uh, drainage not all that great. Uh, so the backyard, my neighbor's backyard with his garden, uh, he uh, uh, there was quite the uh, the little lake back there. But it is all, all dried up now. So it's going to be beautiful. It's barbecue weather for sure, and uh, that means it's also beer weather and patio weather. We're going to be doing that, I'm sure, the next uh, uh, little while. As uh, we all stay at home, as you're supposed to stay at home, save some lives. I do not understand why people are so eager to get back uh, and go back to the bars and things like that. I I, I just don't get it. It is not safe to do so yet. Uh, I certainly uh, feel for the people who have been impacted uh, financially through this and, uh, you know, with employment and all of that. Absolutely understand that. Um, I, I know I have people in my immediate family who are struggling because of uh, the pandemic and everything that's uh, happening uh, around that. And hell, uh, listen, I'm not, uh, I didn't get into this doing this show to uh, make it rich, but uh, I'm feeling it financially uh, because of this pandemic. And some of the advertisers and sponsors that I had aren't sponsoring and advertising right now because they're really not doing a whole lot of of business right now. So I I understand that. It's uh, tough for everybody right now. That brings me up to, uh, reminds me to uh, thank everybody who is a patron uh, because your uh, contributions. Are really keeping the show alive right now. Um, if you are, uh, if you, so, if you are a patron, thank you from the bottom of my heart. If you're not and you don't know what it's all about, go to Patreon.com/slash The Pipeline Show. I'll spell Patreon for you because some people think it's P-A-Y, but it's not. It's P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com. Patreon dot com slash The Pipeline Show. You'll see early access is uh, well the most popular benefit of uh, people signing up to be patrons two bucks a month goes to your credit card uh, every month you don't have to think about it you don't get a bill in the mail or anything like that 
Uh, I don't see your credit card information. It's all handled securely through Patreon and through PayPal. It's really simple. Next week on the show, uh, don't have any firm guests. Listen, let's be honest. Right now, flying by the seat of my pants from week to week, uh, guests that I have been trying to get, just can't, having a hard time uh, finding them. I have been uh, reaching out to uh, draft eligible players. Uh, this week, obviously, was not able to get one uh, on the show. Uh, but the efforts continue. If you have any requests, if there are people, as long as they have you know subject matter to do with the show, uh, and, and you would like me to have them on, let me know. You can fire me off a note at TPS underscore Guy. Uh, is me on Twitter. Guy at thepipelineshow.com is my uh, email address. So I am certainly not above taking requests. Uh, so let me know on that. I do have a short list and have uh, reached out to a few people, So, uh, but I don't have any concrete plans yet for next week. But uh, there will be a show next week. Between now and then, stay safe, stay home, take care of each other, be kind, and uh, God bless all our uh, essential workers out there. Until next week, everybody. My name is Keith Flaming. See ya. See ya.